You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. One particular aspect, and we're going to look at the blessing of God's angel uh, and consider that in the light of uh, the dedication. The first few verses, let's just read these. Sometime later, Joseph was told, your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength and sat up on the bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the, fa- in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me and said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful and will increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples, and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Any children born to you after them will be yours. In the territory they inherit, they will be reckoned under the names of their brothers. As I was returning from Paddan to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan while we were still on the way, a little distance from Ephrath. So I buried her there beside the road to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. When Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, who are these? They are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, bring them to me so that I may bless them. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of old age and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him, and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again, and now God has allowed me to see your children too. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down to the ground. And Joseph took both of them. Ephraim on his right towards Israel's left hand and Manasseh on his left towards Israel's right hand and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger. And crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Now, this is a story from a very different culture to most of us, uh, but it's a story that has uh, a great deal to teach us and... um, I think particularly in this, fairy stories kind of end with, and they lived happily ever after, you know, unless you're, uh, you kind of normal cine world film, you know, big screen film, Hollywood film, they, they get married and they live happily ever after, unless you go down to the DCA and then they're just miserable all the time, but uh, maybe not. Well, sometimes I've had conversations with people who kind of tell me their life plan And it goes like this, you know, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this, then I'll get married, and then I'll live happily ever after. The Bible places a very different emphasis. There's a great deal of emphasis in the Bible, not on just living well, but also on dying well. Sorry, Henrik. Um, If you're in the story of Genesis, particularly in the story of Joseph, the last four chapters in Genesis 46 to Genesis 50 do seem a little bit morbid because they're really an account of Jacob's death and burial. This chapter that we look at is, for me, 
at least a very moving account of Jacob's final interview, uh, or Joseph's final interview with his father, Jacob. In chapter 43 and verse 14, Jacob had not expected this. He thought Joseph was dead. He says this, May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man so that he will let your other brother and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. He'd had a rough life in many ways, Jacob. He lost his wife. He lost his son, Joseph, so he thought. His favorite son, Benjamin, was, as far as he was concerned, a prisoner or going to be a prisoner, and he'd possibly lose him as well. And he'd kind of given up. But here, on his deathbed, he rises and he uh, gives this extraordinary blessing to his grandchildren. So I want to consider, first of all, the sorrow that was in Jacob's life. And I think when we've got little baby Benjamin and uh, his family, Graham and Michelle, and the extended family, many of us know them, uh, and they're a wonderful family, and you kind of think, oh, just wouldn't life be wonderful if every marriage lasts? if nobody ever got cancer, if children were always fantastic. If you just meet Mr. Wright, who also happens to have lots of money, and the, uh, you know, they're kind of the, the beautiful people. But we know that life isn't like that. And part of what we need to do with our children is prepare them for sorrow as well as for joy. Now, there's a balance but I think in our culture, we've got that balance all wrong. Joseph is very busy, very busy. He's running the country, but he comes to his father because he knows it is the responsibility of children to come for their parents, especially on their deathbed. Jacob summons his last strength and pulls himself up so that he can talk to his son. When he sees Joseph, That reminds him of his love, his wife, Rachel. And so he talks to Joseph about the death of his mother. Now, I don't know this, but we have no indication whatsoever that Jacob had ever spoken to Joseph about the death of his mother. But here he does, because on his deathbed, you mention what is important. And for him, of course, that was a tremendous sorrow. And he takes her grandchildren. He calls them. His sight is failing. He calls the boys, Ephraim and Manasseh. He puts them on a par with his sons. Now, about this age, they're probably between the ages of 18 to 22. So they're student age. They are given the full rights and inheritance of sons. And again, in that culture, it's very different from our culture. It's a very um, family-orientated culture, and wealth is passed on through family and so on. First Chronicles 5, 1 to 2 indicates how this happened. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, he was the firstborn, but when he defiled his father's marriage bed, his rights as firstborn were given to the sons of Joseph, son of Israel. So he could not be listed in the genealogical record in accordance with his birthright. And though Judah was the strongest of his brothers, and a ruler came from him, the rights of the firstborn belonged to Joseph. Second youngest son, his father 
goes against the convention, goes against the traditions of the fathers, and gives the firstborn rights to Manasseh and to Ephraim, Joseph's children. It's as though he's basically saying that he is adopting these children as his own. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. They are the sons God has given to me here. That is what Joseph said. And you will notice his attitude, a fantastic attitude. Your children are not your children. They are the children that God has given you. What does Joseph do? He does something that's amazing, and it's not immediately obvious for those of us who, you know, you just read it and you think, well, we don't again live in that kind of culture. But Joseph was the second most powerful man in the whole of Egypt. His sons were entitled to everything he had in Egypt. When he accepts what his father said, he's actually giving that up for Ephraim and Manasseh. They are, instead of becoming Egyptian princes, they are to become the children of shepherds. And shepherds were not considered to be uh, high value. They had position and prospects in Egypt. But Joseph was prepared to give that up for them because he was looking at something much, much bigger. Hebrews 11 puts it this way. By faith, speaking of Moses, slightly different context, but we'll come back to Hebrews 11's on Joseph in a moment. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasure of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Now, Joseph is doing the same thing here for his children. He's refusing them the right to be regarded as, if you like, almost like Pharaoh's children, as princes in Egypt. Instead, he chooses that they would be identified with the people of God and therefore in that context and in that culture suffer disgrace. Now, sometimes... I hear an older person saying something like this, oh, I'm glad I don't have to bring children into this world today. Well, I'm not convinced that the world in what you might consider your day was that much better. But it's always been the case. It should always be the case for Christians that when we bring our children, the children that God has given us into this world, one of the biggest decisions we will ever make is what do we want for them? What are we aiming for them? Because some of you, you will know this kind of pressure. Your parents brought you up. They've given you everything. They've given you the best education they possibly could. They've spent and spent themselves for you because their dream and their ambition was that you would be a doctor. Something really, really, really in their eyes significant. Really important. Education is so valued because it helps your family. I remember in my family... I was the first who had gone to university, and that was a source of pride for my family. For other families, it's seen as a way. This is how we, we get on in life. We give this for our children. But for the Christian, I think we need to ask, what is our priority? What are we looking for? 
I guess we'd want our children to be happy, we'd want our children to prosper, and so on. But how do we define that? How does that come about? And for the Christian, by far the most important thing, by far the most important thing, is that our children follow the Lord, that they choose Christ, and that we bring them up, not forcing belief, because that would be wrong, and it would be unchristian, but we bring them up, showing them that what is the most valuable thing in the world is the most valuable thing to us, which is Jesus Christ, and that whatever happens, we will love them, but more than them getting wealth, more than them getting status, more than them being famous, more than them getting married, what matters most to us is that they are part of God's covenant people. And Joseph, or Jacob rather, in his sorrow, is able to call his grandchildren, the grandchildren of the wife he loved, who, who, who broke, whose his heart was broken when she died, and he is able to see them and to bless them as part of the family of God. His eyesight was going. We read that. He was outwardly fading, but inwardly, Jacob was being renewed. It's funny, isn't it? For those of you who know the Bible, when Isaac, his father, had been dim-sighted, what did Jacob do? Jacob used his father's ill sight, Jacob and his mother, to take advantage of that. Not now. Now he's on his own deathbed with his own eyesight going. He cannot see his grandchildren. But it's a time not for deception, but a time for blessing. And on his deathbed, he has a heart that is full of joy and praise. Great, great sorrow. But then we go on to read from verse 15. If we can move it on. Could you move it on for me, please, Jennifer? I don't. <clears throat> then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly upon the earth. And there's just so much in that, but I just want to stress this one phrase, the angel who has delivered me from all harm. How can he say that? It doesn't make any sense. Why doesn't it make sense? If you don't know the story, his wife died young, his daughter was raped, his son was kidnapped, his other sons got involved in murder, he was driven by famine from the promised land, and he comes to God and he says, the angel delivered me from all harm. Is this denial? I don't think so. The God before whom my fathers walk, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, what he's saying is this. He's saying that we can know extraordinary pain and extraordinary suffering in this life. But if we know the true God, if we know God as the one whom his fathers knew intimately, real, living, and vital relationship, real, living, and vital religion, then he is the God of the promise, the God of the, the covenant, the God who is Roy, uh, the word for the one shepherd. Jacob was himself a shepherd. He knew what it was like. He knew what it was like to care for the sheep. If you've ever had to look after animals properly, you know, you, you care for your animals. You love your animals. At least you should. 
And especially shepherds. My, my granddad uh, was a shepherd, and I, I just used to be amazed and when I would go and work uh, with sheep and how they care for the young. You look, you've got a flock of hundreds of sheep, and there's one sick lamb. And as a shepherd, you will stay up all night feeding that sick lamb, looking after that sick lamb. Economically, it doesn't make any sense. Economically, you've got hundreds of sheep. What does it have? Who cares? But you care because you're a shepherd. And Jacob has this just wonderful awareness of God as his shepherd. And he cites the angel. Now, why? We won't, I can't go into all the times the angel is mentioned, but give you some of them. Um, for example, Genesis 22, 11 and 12, when Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac, what happened? The angel of the Lord came and said, don't. At Jacob's dream at Beersheba in Genesis 32, verse 1, the angel of the Lord came to him. Before meeting Esau, expecting great trouble, Jacob also went on his way, and the angel of God met him. The angel is Goel, the redeeming one. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob delivers from all the evil of the fall. The seed of the woman crushes the head of the serpent and sets the victims free. We need a redeemer. And this blessing here, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, the angel who redeems, the angel who saves. We need a redeemer. There is a redeemer. Jesus, God's own son, holy lamb of God, Messiah, chosen one. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4 says this, They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink from the drank for the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. The angel has delivered me from all harm. I have experienced this, my wife dying young. I've experienced my daughter being raped. I've experienced my son being kidnapped. I've experienced my son's f- going away, being involved in murder. I've experienced being driven from the promised land by famine. And yet, because there is a Redeemer, I know that I've been delivered from all harm. So when, we, when he says on his deathbed, I have been delivered from all harm, he is not saying he has not experienced anything evil or bad. But he's saying that he has experienced God's forgiveness, the presence of God, and salvation in the midst of all of that. And so now he takes the boys and he blesses them. Um, the blessing itself is unusual because he reverses the normal order. Uh, but I just, I, for me, the, the thing just now is this blessing that comes upon these boys. There's a wonderful song um, by the proclaimer, Sunshine on Leith, which I still to this day cannot work out why Hibs football fans sing it, except if you've seen Hibs play football, you can probably understand. But it, it's, it, it's a beautiful, beautiful song. Um, I'll just, I won't sing it to you, but I'll give you some of the words. My heart was broken, my heart was broken. Somebody said to me, this is a, just a typical Scottish song. I, I just think it's wonderful. I think Jacob would have recognized this. Sorrow, 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 sorrow. My heart was broken. My heart was broken. And then this, you saw it, you claimed it, you touched it, you saved it. My tears are drying. My tears are drying. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Your beauty and kindness made tears clear my blindness. 
while I'm worth my room on this earth, I will be with you. The song is called Sunshine on Leith, by the way. While the chief puts sunshine on Leith, I'll thank him for his work and your birth and my birth. That song actually only makes sense in the context of recognizing who God is. And I think it's a great picture, for me anyway, of our life is full of sorrow. Man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. We're going to face sorrow. We, we asking God's blessing to be upon we Benjamin Harrison. We do so in the acknowledgement that he and his parents will face sorrow. But may the angel deliver him from all harm. May he bless that boy. And then there's God's sovereignty. When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's hand, he was displeased. So he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, No, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people, and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become a group of nations. He blessed them that day and said, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. The spirit of prophecy guided Jacob. The right-hand side was the place of honor and blessing in Bible times. And what's happening here is Jacob is letting Joseph know, and he himself is aware, it is God who determines, not human beings. Romans 9, verses 10 to 12. Uh, Sorry, I'll go back one. I'll just read that, Romans 9. Not only that, but Rebekah's children had one and the same father, our father Isaac, yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. Our days are determined by God. You can take out whatever insurance you want. You can plan whatever great plans you have but none of them will ever supersede the plans of God. Some might say this wasn't fair, but God is promising blessing both to Manasseh and to Ephraim. He just promises a greater blessing to Ephraim. We, have a, we live in a society where people are obsessed by the phrase equality. Yeah, they're all such hypocrites because nobody does it. You know, you don't see rich people saying, I'm not going to send my kid to the best school because uh, I want there to be equality. That's not, I honestly think that the mantra is, is ludicrous. I think what we are concerned about is people's relationship with God. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John were there. Do you think the other nine disciples moaned that they weren't included? I hope not. God has different plans for different people. What we need to be concerned for most of all with our children is not so much that they all turn out equally the same in the eyes of this world, but that all are part of the covenant family of God. And that's where this final declaration of faith, Israel said to Joseph, I am about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. And to you, as one who is over your brothers, I give the ridge of land I took from the Amorites with my sword and my bow. Hebrews eleven twenty one, By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped 
as he leaned on the top of his staff. What a wonderful picture. The old man dying, pulls himself up, leans on the top of his staff, takes the boys, can't see them. He's dying. His sight has gone. And he sees spiritually into the future. And he sees a great blessing for Joseph. And he says to Joseph, you're going back to the land, except Joseph didn't go back. It was Joseph's descendants who did 400 years later. I think this is an outstanding act of faith. I think this blessing is an act of worship as well as an exercise in faith. He has a strong and cheerful faith. Calvin says this, God's children do not walk on towards a dark and uncertain future. When I I said, well, we're going to look at sorrow and death in the context of blessing a child. I'm sure that there's some people who go, oh, that's terrible, and just doom and gloom, typical free church and all this kind of stuff. No, it's the complete opposite. It's the complete opposite because what we are doing is we are saying that we are not walking towards a dark and uncertain future because God is God and God is in control. Verse 22, it really is an act of faith, giving this land in Canaan. It's land that Jacob actually didn't have at that time. He didn't occupy. An old dying man giving a sixth of the land that he did not possess. And yet it was to happen. For those of us who are Christians, I think we are children of the promise and we need to remember the promise. 2 Peter 1, concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels longed to look into these things. Do you know what Jacob was doing when he was blessing Joseph and blessing well into the future? He was seeing ahead, seeing a little of the glory of Christ. It wasn't all about him. It wasn't all about, it's me, 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 it's my life, it's everything. He saw a much, much bigger picture. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires when you, you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. I think that could be summed in this. Make it sure, pass it on. For Graham and Michelle, the most wonderful thing they will ever do for Benjamin is to show to him and to teach him and to demonstrate the things of Jesus Christ. And then I just, I'll finish with this. The promise that's hinted at here, the promise that's looked for here, it's only fulfilled in the New Testament. John 4 verse 5. Now he had to go through Samaria So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. I think that's just a wonderful part of the Bible, because what's happening here is land that Jacob didn't really have, that he gave to Joseph, who wasn't ever going to see it, became land for which Jesus went to, And there he met a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well 
And he worked in her life and he saved her. And that whole village, many, many people came to know Jesus Christ. When the woman asked him about the Redeemer, what did Jesus say? He said, I'm he. Jacob said, there's a Redeemer. God is my shepherd. May the angel, who was this angel? I think the angel that appears then is a kind of what we call a theophany, an appearance of God, and I think it is an early appearance of Jesus Christ before he became incarnate. But Jesus Christ was to come in physical form into this world, and he would go to Jacob's place, and there he would speak to a woman who was in effect an outcast and who was a horrible sinner in some ways. And the blessing that Joseph had been given and his children had been given was to a blessing that she would receive. Ephesians 3.20 says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Please listen to this. If you are a Christian, then your times are in God's hands. You may experience the kind of sorrows that Jacob did, but may it be that at the end of your days, you will raise yourself on your deathbed and say, he is my angel. He is my shepherd. He is my redeemer. I have suffered no harm. And there can be nothing more important than for any parent to give their child, to hand over their child, to say, Lord, this is your child. May your angel bless him. May your son be with him. And for those of you who are not yet believers, let me tell you this. You live a life which, although you may enjoy many aspects of it, ultimately sorrow is its destination. You cannot get away from that. And you need to be delivered as well. And that, how do you expect deliverance? How do you expect to deal with all the sorrows and pains and struggles in this world? I'm telling you that there is a person who came to this earth who said, come to me, all you that are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Please look for, seek and find Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your blessing that was granted to Jacob and to Joseph and to Manasseh and to Ephraim. The blessing that was Rachel's, the blessing that became the unnamed woman at the well in Sychar, and the blessing that can be ours. We don't need to go to Israel. Lord, you come to us and we pray that that would be true for each one of us now, for we ask it in your name. Amen. We're going to sing um, the Lord's mind. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of Solace 
the Centre for Public Christianity at solace-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.